something serious, Krista, she was telling us how um, she had those couple of periods where her inner feelings, you know, weren't exactly exuberant and uh, she had some complaints with the Lord, but the, this wasn't in the area of her beliefs, her, her, her knowledge of the truth. And um, I was thinking about that and realised that, in fact, it was the Lord who put her in that place. Now, this is often the case for all of us. Don't assume that just because you're having a struggle or a few bad moments that the Lord is not right in the middle of it. And I think the Lord put Krista in that place more than once so that she could um, think through the whole process of what worship was all about because she began to tell us how she had to choose songs about the Lord, not about her feelings about God. And you'll find if you go back to all the older church music, all of that was all about the Lord's qualities, not about your qualities in liking him. Worship is meant to have nothing much to do with your qualities at all. Unfortunately, we live in this era, it's a me culture. And so a lot of modern songs written by young 20-somethings trying to you know, write a happy song, the culture comes into it. And C.S. Lewis, whom Philip quoted several times, although the same quote on uh, Friday night, C.S. Lewis said something really interesting. He said um, he recommended that for every modern book you read, something written in your own time, you should read several books from another era altogether. He said it would work just as well if you could get a book 200 years from now and read that, but they're not available, so you've got to read the older books. And he said the reason is because we live in a cultural bubble in which we assume a whole lot of things and they're not all correct. And when we read books, Christian books, that have been written in an entirely different culture, a different time, they don't make our bad assumptions. Now, they'll have their own bad assumptions, and we see it easily. We think, well, that was crazy. Why did they think that? But by reading them, we discover how much also we are fooled by the bubble that we live in. And younger people more than older people, but all of us to some degree are living in a very me-centered culture. That's our bubble. And so we think it's normal to talk about our feelings. In fact, they say we live in a post-truth culture. So these days, what's, what's in vogue in universities and, and in a lot of modern aspects of culture is, is not objective truth, it's not rational truth, it's not truth you can prove, but it's how you feel. And, uh, of course, there's a complete fallacy. And you give it another generation or two, I'm embarrassed that future generations are going to look back at us and think we are complete fools. And in some ways, we are complete fools. So don't fool yourself. It's, it's not about you. The old song is still true, you know, J-O-Y, J-O-Y. This must surely mean Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. So anyway, Krista was on the right track. It's, it's, it's about the Lord. 
And uh, so anyway, the weight of modern songs that we sing is out of balance. And that's because the culture we live in is out of balance. Anyway, with those few words, um, I'm going to read you a story out of an old book. Merlin Carruthers got uh, honorably mentioned here this morning when David talked about his book, Prison to Praise. Now, I read this book in 1973, and in 1973, I had been a Christian already six years, but in, in a part of the, the church world that didn't even know there was a Pentecostal movement or a charismatic movement or a Jesus movement or anything the like, and I read this book and it so opened my eyes, not to praise so much, but the baptism of the Spirit. And I got so hungry for God, and within months, cried out to the Lord and got profoundly baptized in the Spirit, all off the testimony of this book. Now, if you haven't read it, you really ought to read it. And I went looking for it on my bookshelf, but discovered it's not there, along with all the others we would have bought and given away lots of books over the years, and they don't come back. You know, they're the non-returning boomerangs. And, but this book had a profound effect on the church all over the world. It was one of the few key books that went everywhere and caused the charismatic movement to go everywhere. Because the charismatic movement was in its heyday all through the 70s. This was one of the triggers that helped put the charismatic movement right through Catholic churches, Anglican churches, everywhere all over the world. If you haven't read it, you really ought to read the book. But the heart of the book is Merlin Carruthers' discovery. Now, it starts off... He's sitting in a car in a street in somewhere, San Francisco or somewhere, armor up on the window, and next minute, cufflink straight on, he's arrested. He was AWOL from the military. But he ends up a military chaplain. He goes to Vietnam and all of that. It's a whole interesting story how he discovered the power of praise. And in a nutshell, what he discovered was not just that we should praise God when we are in tough times, but we should praise God for the tough time. We should actually thank him for the very thing we don't like. And he has endless stories of the lives of people who, who were changed when they learned to praise God for everything, not just try and, uh, you know, praise God despite everything. In other words, it's a shift. Now, this is not an irrational position. He doesn't just tell everybody, oh, praise God. He is, he is a logical thinking man, thoughtful, educated, and has a lot of Bible behind his position. And as much as you might think it's uh, strange to thank God or praise God for something bad that happens to you or someone in your family, he will explain how to think that through to have right heart attitudes that puts the Lord right in the middle of that where the Lord can actually take charge of it and do something about it. Whereas without the praise and the thanksgiving, your unbelief is locking God out of situations that he might otherwise truly want to change. You'd have to read the book to get all the lowdown on that. But this was his point. And I'm saying it was, it's not an unbiblical position. It's not an unintelligent position. It's a very carefully thought through one. And his books are full of stories some of them are straight-out miracles that people get. There's lots of those. But others are people who objected and wrote with his objections, and he would explain to those people how to think. And so he, he answers, as you go through, a whole lot of the objections people might raise to the position. So he went on to write a whole series of books, six or seven at least. And at one stage, we had all of those. So we went to our library the other day to look, and none of ours were there. 
all given away, but there were two there. And there was this one. His, his, um, this book tells the early part of his life, but this one tells the rest of the story of his life called Walking and Leaping. And that's really worth reading. But in between, there are a whole bunch of others. This one had somebody else's name in it, namely Noreen Clanfield. So we've ended up with their book somehow. Maybe they're going to throw it out and we've collected it. But this one, in the front, it says, Mount Morgan Peace Baptist Family Church. So maybe it better be returned to the library because, you know, it was a library book. Look at that. Ended up in our position. And look, it's falling apart. So I'm, I'm happy to give it back now. And, um, but I was going to read you a story, the opening story in the book. And this is the second book in the series, Power in Praise. The third book in the series was called Answers in Praise. But uh, this book probably has um, most of the early and very good stories. But the, the opening story here, story here I thought had value to inspire us all with respect to those very difficult family situations most of us find ourselves in. You know, where there's a, a wayward child or some great difficulty and you've prayed and prayed and prayed and, you know, you're, you're trying to believe God but nothing seems to be changing. Well, here's, here's an example of what happened for somebody. Uh, Jim's father had been an alcoholic for 30 years. All those years, Jim's mother and Jim and later his young wife had prayed that God would heal him, but with no result. Jim's father refused to admit that he had a problem with alcohol and stalked out in anger if anyone ever mentioned religion. One day, Jim heard me speak about the power that's released when we begin to praise God for everything in our lives instead of pleading with him to change the circumstances. Jim brought home a tape of the meeting and played it over and over again for his friends and then one day it struck him he had never tried praising God for his father's condition. Excitedly, he shared the thought with his wife. Honey, let us thank God for dad's alcoholism and praise him that the condition is part of his wonderful plan for dad's life. Doesn't sound so logical, right? <laughs> for the rest of that day, they gave thanks and praised God for every aspect of the situation. And by evening, they felt a new sense of excitement and expectation. The next day, the parents came over for the usual Sunday dinner visit. Always before, Jim's father had cut the visit as short as possible, leaving right after dinner. This time, however, over a cup of coffee, he suddenly asked a question. What do you think about this Jesus revolution? He turned to Jim. I saw something about it on the news last night. Is it just a fad or is something happening to those kids who are hung up on drugs? The question led to a lengthy and open discussion about Christianity. The elder couple didn't leave till late in the evening. Within weeks, Jim's father came to admit his drinking problem, turned for help to Christ, was completely healed and now joins the rest of the family in telling others what praising can do. Just think, Jim said to me, for 30 years we prayed for God uh, to God for Dad to change. We spent only one day praising him for the situation and look what happened. 
Yes, well, there you are. It would be good if... Um, look, we are, we are people who worship God. We are people who pray. We see a lot of answers to prayer. We're not strangers to thanksgiving. But it would be handy if we could just put a little edge on, on the culture of our daily lives to be genuinely praising the Lord in all things, for all things, you know, try and think that through, try and praise that through. It's a way of genuinely putting things in the Lord's hands. I know that um, the, the, the big lesson I learned over the years with getting answers to prayer was once you have laid it before the Lord, like you've, you've sought the Lord, you've made your requests, the, the Bible does say, make your requests of God. You know, you, it says you have not because you did not ask it. Jesus said, ask and seek and knock. And so you, you genuinely, I, I would lay my request before the Lord, pray it through. But I would, I would get through that so that I could get to the place where I could say, Lord, you've heard my prayer. Thank you. Thank you. you you're answering the prayer. Thank you. This is what you're going to do. Thank you, Lord. And I always found the miracles came as a result of the second stage in prayer. Now, if you think about it, that, that constant positioning of myself to thank the Lord he was providing an answer is probably the big key for why I have seen so many answers to prayer and miracles and healings along the way. In other words, there's more power in prayer when there's more thanksgiving in prayer. And so it's... Um, it's our entrance to the courts of the Lord as well as our, our exit strategy, you know, like in other words, constantly giving thanks. I, I, I've discovered, well, I've noticed something interesting in the Bible, in, in, principally in Paul's writing over the years. I've seen it there again and again, how much he puts importance on thanksgiving going to God. If you look this up, if you look up the word uh, thanksgiving in, in your concordance, go to Paul's letters, he seems to say over and over that it's really, really important that in this world thanksgiving is given to God. It, it shifts something. And uh, he, there's, there's numbers of situations in church life where he is grateful because this will bring more thanksgiving to God. It's almost like the thanksgiving is needed to change the world. And so it's hugely important that no matter how you're feeling, no matter what is going on, you know, good or bad, you, you fill your heart with thanksgiving constantly. Give, give thanks in everything, then learn how to give thanks for everything. See what the Lord can do for you. Uh, I'll find you another story there in a moment. But I, um, here, here is a scripture. We're not putting them up. Just see if you can follow this. In, in Ephesians 5, um, we've already seen it up here a couple of times over the weekend, the scripture that says, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the, heart with, uh, to the Lord with your heart. But the next verse says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, we may as well 
comment on that bit that's added on, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, that the context here is that you're living a healthy life of relationships, you're walking with brothers and sisters, you're in the body, you, 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 you're acting honorably towards others, honorably towards your leadership. So there's a context here of, of healthy Christian life. You know, if somebody despises others, if somebody has a, a bad attitude to churches, pastors, the body of Christ, you know, bad, all, all the thanksgiving in the world doesn't cure a bad attitude if you're just going through the motions of, you know, if I say these things, I'll get answers. Now, that's like treating it like being able to say abracadabra. The context genuinely is that um, your, your attitude is good to the brothers and sisters around you as well as having a heart that reaches out to the Lord. However, getting back to the text itself, verse 20 of Ephesians 5, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. And when Paul writes to the Colossians, he uses a different expression. He says we should be overflowing with thankfulness. Overflowing. There should be an abundance. Or another translation is abounding in thanksgiving. Now, back a little bit, um, I don't remember how many weeks ago this was, but Bill Johnson, some of you would have heard of Bill Johnson. He's a preacher in America. There's quite a large work. His books have gone all over the world. Uh, his book specialized in, you know, experiencing heaven on earth. And uh, he has a big following and big conference every year. At Be you might have heard of Bethel. He's the senior pastor of Bethel. So pretty well known right through the Christian world. Well, Bill Johnson's and I guess he's about my age, but um, might be a little older, but his wife passed away recently. And three days after his wife passed away, he preached a message at his church. Now that there were four services, he only preached in one of them because he was uh, still so filled with uh, you know, grief and bereavement over the loss of his wife, but still he rocked up to the first service of the day and took the message. Now, the message runs about 40 minutes and I've heard the whole message, but what was interesting for us with our subject today were a couple of things that he had to say about praising God, rejoicing and giving thanks. And two points in particular he made. So I want to tell you what those two points were. Now, bear in mind, this is in the this is in the light of his, of his wife having just passed away and he's feeling deep sorrow over it. And he said these two, he made these two points. He said, um, commands in the Bible like rejoice always. You know, he said those commands would not be there if the Christian life only gave us good times. He said, if life was only good or meant to be good and happy times, the Bible wouldn't need to put in commands to tell us to rejoice and be happy. If everything that came our way was nice, there wouldn't need to be a command there to tell us to give thanks. He said, those commands are needed because our lives will have plenty of these times when... Uh, you know, we, we might be miserable or downcast or it's difficult. 
And so those commands are there specifically because life does have its ups and downs. Otherwise, the commands would not be needed. Now, do we get that? We follow the point? In other words, uh, the, the commands such as rejoice always are there specifically for something we are to do when we don't feel like doing it. When circumstances wouldn't naturally lead us to rejoice, we're supposed to rejoice. And um, the, the second thing he said is this. It's only in this life, the life that you have now, that you have an opportunity to make this kind of sacrifice of praise. Once we pass from this life to the next life, there will not be these times of travail. There won't be these burdens. There won't be these sorrows. There won't be losses. You won't have bad days. So you will have lost forever the opportunity to give thanks and praise to God when you're not feeling very well about things. To, in other words, to give thanks in difficult circumstances, to give praise to God for tough times, to rejoice when you're otherwise feeling miserable, you will never ever have that opportunity again unless you take that opportunity in this life. Moreover, a lot of these circumstances that come your way where you've got a miserable day or a difficult moment or something has gone wrong, they don't last very long. It might be a five minute period or an hour or a day or a couple of days, in other words, it's a short window and it passes quickly. So when the opportunity comes to praise God in the midst of difficult circumstances, that window of opportunity is not open very long. And you're meant to take the opportunity and worship God and give thanks and praise God because the moment will pass and the opportunity is gone. And it's only in this life that you get those opportunities to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. It's saying, it's saying something wonderful. It really is declaring your faith. It really is showing that the Lord is the Lord in your life when you have this moment where um, you, you, you're living by faith and not by circumstances. Anyway, these were the... Were amongst other things he talked about in the message. These were the two things relevant for us today. Now, there is a scripture, 1 Corinthians 5, if we, um, I mean, I've already quoted verse, um, it doesn't matter, here we go. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Does anybody know what the shortest verse in the Bible is? Everybody knows the shortest verse in the Bible, don't you? It's just two words out of the Gospels, Jesus wept. Well, this must be the second shortest verse in the Bible, also two words, so it's only on the letter count that it misses out. This verse says, rejoice always. That's one whole verse. And then the following verse is three words. Pray without ceasing. These are not separate sentences. For some reason, whoever put these verse numbers in place put three different verse numbers on one sentence. So, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Think you can remember those three? Rejoice always, 
So when you're feeling lousy, that, that you, you haven't got an out here. You've got to find reason to rejoice in the Lord. Pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances. And the sentence finishes off by saying, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. All right, we, we find another story, shall we? Back, back to the, uh, the Mount Morgan book. And um, Justin's not here this morning, is he? He's probably in Mount Morgan. Yeah, so he doesn't know I've got his book. Um, here's, a, here's one. You ready? Uh, one couple heard me speak on praising God for everything and went home quite disturbed. For months, they had grieved over the condition of their daughter who had been committed to a mental institution and had been diagnosed hopelessly insane. Prayer groups across the country had been asked to intercede for her and daily the parents had pleaded with God on their knees to heal their daughter. Her condition remained unchanged. Their initial response to the challenge that they were to praise God for the condition of their daughter had left them distraught and unhappy. It would be blasphemy, said the wife, thanking God for something so obviously evil. If we thank him, doesn't that mean we accuse him of deliberately hurting our daughter? It just doesn't fit in with my idea of a loving God. It doesn't seem right, the husband agreed, but what if the speaker is right? The wife looked helplessly at her husband. These stories are obviously dramatized, for, you know, like recalled. <laughs> I just don't know, she said. We have nothing to lose, do we? The husband looked thoughtful. Why don't we try it? They knelt together. Dear God, the husband began. We know that you love us and that you love our daughter even more than we do. We're going to trust that you're working out in her life what you know is best for her. And so we thank you for her sickness. Thank you that she's in the hospital. Thank you for the doctors who haven't found a way to help her. We praise you, Lord, for your wisdom and love toward us. The longer they prayed that day, the more they became convinced that God was indeed doing what was best. The next morning, the hospital psychiatrist called. Sir, there's been a remarkable change in your daughter, he said. I suggest you come and see her. Within two weeks, she was released from the hospital. A year later, a young man came up to me after a meeting. He introduced himself as the girl's brother and told me that she was married, expecting a baby, and is the happiest girl in the world. Now, these are the short outcomes, these two stories. He's also got stories in here where people persevered for months in still trusting the Lord with thanksgiving and saw delightful outcomes. Uh, the next story is a little bit raw, but I think I'll read it. And um, a mother came and wanted prayer for her daughter, who was a go-go dancer in a nightclub. I told her I would be glad to pray with her and thank God for her, for her daughter's situation. She looked at me in horror. <laughs> Don't tell me I'm supposed to thank God that my daughter mocks common decency 
and laughs at religion. Surely I've got the devil to thank for her misery, not a loving God. The mother was faced with a difficult choice. All her life she'd been conditioned to thank God for everything good and blame the devil for everything bad. Together we searched the pages of my Bible for verses stating that God is able to work all things for good for those who love and trust him and that he wants us to be thankful in everything regardless of how evil our situation appears. You can go on thinking that your daughter's situation is controlled by the devil and by your lack of faith in God's supreme power which makes it difficult for him to work out his perfect plan for her, or you can believe that God is at work. Thank him for everything, and thereby release his power to work in her life. At last, the mother agreed to try. I don't understand why it has to be this way, she said, but I am going to trust that God knows what he's doing, and I'm going to thank him for it. We prayed together, and the mother went away with a new peace in her heart about the whole situation. For the first time, I'm not worried, she beamed. Later, she told me what happened. That same night, her daughter was dancing on her little platform when a young man came into the nightclub. He walked up to the girl, looked straight at her and said, Jesus really loves you. The go-go dancer was used to hearing all kinds of remarks from men, but never anything like this. She came down from her platform, sat down with the young man at a table and asked, why did you say that? He explained that he happened to be walking down the street when he felt that God was urging him to go into that particular nightclub and tell the go-go dancer that Jesus Christ was offering her the free gift of eternal life. Stunned, the girl stared at him. Tears then filled her eyes and she said, I'd like to receive that gift. And she did right there at the table in the nightclub. He, he adds, the author adds, praising God is not uh, um, uh, pills in a bottle, you know, it's not a cure-all, it's not a magic formula for success. It is a way of life that's solidly backed up in God's word and so on and so forth. Well, you need to read the books. Philip, I think it was, um, mentioned, I'm going to close with this. I think this is the important, this is the important takeaway from the weekend. I had thought of building another kind of message today based on the, the warfare, the spiritual warfare power of praise, but I'm not gonna go there today because praise is a weapon. Uh, and obviously, obviously without any of this being called, any of these stories being called spiritual warfare, that's really what's happening. Praise is effectively knocking demons out of situations. That's effectively what's going on. But instead of enlarging on that today, and the Bible does say, you know, with a, a praise of God in their mouths and a two-edged sword in their hand, you know, wreak vengeance on enemies, praise is a very, very powerful spiritual warfare weapon. And that needs exploring more on another occasion. There's something else I want you to think about in closing out this camp today, and it comes from a text that... I'm pretty sure Philip was the one who mentioned this the other night. It comes from Exodus. And it was, it was the Lord's instruction to Moses. He said, have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Now, 
in its context, they had to build the tabernacle and then the presence of God came down and lived. They all lived in tents and the picture was God would come and live in a tent as well, live in the midst of the camp. But please understand, these Old Testament pictures of physical things are symbols. They are object lessons to teach us something. And it is that when you prepare a place for God, he lives in it. And the scripture tells us in other places that God inhabits. Now, the word inhabit means he lives there. He takes up residence. He comes and dwells there as his permanent place of abode. He inhabits. It says God inhabits the praises of his people. So if you want God to come and live in your house, you fill the house with praise. If you want God to take up residence in your heart more powerfully than before, you fill your heart with praise. As he said to Moses, have them make a sanctuary for me. In other words, have them build a house. Have them build a house for me to live in and I will come and live there. I will dwell among them. So the lesson, the takeaway from the camp is if you want the presence of God to fill your heart, if you want to, to walk with God, if, if you want wherever you go the presence of God to go with you, you know, if you want to go into a public toilet and you go into your cubicle and shut the door, but the guys on either side are suddenly thinking, oh, the presence of God, it came in with you. If you want to be a carrier of his presence, if you want to be sitting at home and all of a sudden so aware the presence of God fills the room, you have to build the sanctuary. In other words, you, you create the space. He inhabits the praises of his people. In other words, through praise, through much thanksgiving, you create the presence of God and your awareness of it. Practicing the presence of God. You can't really practice it without a heart of thanksgiving. You think you're trying to remember that text? Have them build a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Right? This is the, this is the takeaway text. And you're trying to remember it? Exodus 25 verse 8. You mightn't remember the numbers. Try and remember the concept. Have them build a sanctuary for me. In other words, create a space create an opening. And I think what happens is when in, in really difficult circumstances, you just start thanking and praising God for that. I think it's knocking out demonic powers, creating space for the Lord to occupy and he begins to work. So uh, as much as it might be hard to get your head around thanking the Lord for something crook, um, try and think it through. If you can't go right to the the core of that, then hedge your bets and pray all around it. You know, thank the Lord you're working in it. I mean, whatever. Read the books because I think you'll, you'll end up, you'll end up with a, a clearer position on how you can do this with a pure heart. Now, look, most of you, most of you, probably just as safe to say all of you probably have something in your life that doesn't shift been hard to shift it. You've prayed and prayed and prayed over that thing and it's stayed pretty much the same and you've tried to believe the Lord because my, 
my attitude has always been come to that place of, of inner quietness and strength where you genuinely believe the Lord. And this is kind of why I, with my prayers, just constantly thank the Lord. You've heard my prayer. You're answering the prayer. You're changing things. But still, Hayes and I too, we have some things that just haven't really shifted. I think, okay, time to take a fresh approach. Why don't we do the irrational thing? The rational thing hasn't worked. Let's do the irrational thing. It's only irrational because you don't fully understand it. Nothing with God's actually irrational. But why, you know, basically take the position, we've got nothing to lose, any more than we already have lost, right? <laughs> and so just um, go back to your prayers and just, just start praising the Lord. He's, he's in the midst of that situation. Lord, thank you, you've got your hand on it. All right, have them build a sanctuary for me and I will come and dwell among them. All right, Fill, get, you, get the house full of the presence of God. Well, we'll, we'll ask the Lord. And um, let the saints rejoice in this honor, the scripture says. Here's, here's the context of that statement. We're first to go to prayer with Psalm 149 by the way the, it, it says this listen carefully because this is you for the Lord takes delight in his people let the saints rejoice in this honour so you've got something right there you can rejoice over all the time even on the tough hour the Lord takes delight in his people you've plenty to rejoice over you'll bow your head with me I'm going to ask the Lord if he would grant this grace that, that, that somehow this, this knowledge, this awareness of the principle would remain with you so that it becomes the, the, the flow of the spirit, the miracle working power in your life. Just humble your heart with me and believe the Lord. Father, we do thank you that you have given us everything we need. Your word says that you have given us everything we need for life and for godliness through the precious promises you've given us. No wonder then we should give thanks and rejoice and give praise to God. And I pray, O oh Lord, concerning these truths, that by the Holy Spirit, it would enter every heart as the, the word of truth, as bedrock, as stability for the soul. And I thank you for your promise that says you'll come and dwell with us. You, you'll inhabit us and our homes. And so I thank you for the spirit of faith and the spirit of prayer and the spirit of praise and of thanksgiving. And I ask, Lord, that these graces which we learn from you and helped by the Holy Spirit, these graces would spring up anew 
in all of us, those who have long walked with you and those who are young, in all of us, I ask, Lord, that from this day, this grace would spring up in us and that along with the other things you'd teach us, this would bear great fruit in our lives. So Holy Spirit, come. By your goodness, rest upon every one of these believers in power. I commend them to you, Lord, for grace. I lift them up to you and I, I give thanks to God today for them. Fill them with the Holy Spirit and forgive us each our sins. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. How about everybody take a moment? Let's just take a moment of silence and each one of you think, what, what is, what's the most difficult problem you have? What, or what's your biggest burden? What's the thing in life or in the family that you would love to see changed? How about starting to praise God that he has put that in your life for a good reason and that he's at work and through your praise enable him to enter right into it and possess it and do with it whatever he wishes. Take a moment now as we wait before the Lord. Yes, amen. Lord, thank you that you hear our prayers. Your grace rests upon this whole church, I pray, and upon all of those who are our friends, our brothers and sisters around the world. Grace, mercy, and peace rest on each of them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.